Totally Pro League, another fascinating weekend of hockey it's been, and joining me in the Totally Pro League shed or studio, whichever way you'd like to think of it, is Andrew Wilson. Andrew's the um, assistant coach of the Spanish women's team, the bronze medalist from the last Women's World Cup, and also a podcaster in his own right through the Frank Hockey Podcast. Andrew, welcome to Totally Pro League. John, really nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Oh, look, it's a pleasure, Andrew. Um, followed your podcasts and all of the uh, action you, the Spanish girls have been through in the last few months. Uh, bronze medal at the at the World Cup. You must have been stoked about that. That was amazing. Uh, uh, definitely an unexpected end result of the competition, although we, we knew that we could compete with the top teams. But when you get there, I mean, you're in the moment, and then afterwards, in the, in the, in the few weeks after the competitions, when you really think, of it, we've actually done something huge here. We've actually created history with with a country. It was fantastic effort from the girls too, even though they beat my beloved hockey roos. Um, so be it. <laughs> well done to the girls. Now, we'll be mentioning Spain a couple of times uh, during this podcast, but let's get on to the results from the weekend's action. Uh, all of the games came out of New Zealand uh, this weekend, so it was two home games for the men and two home games for the women, and they kicked it off on Friday afternoon, the 8th, a 5pm uh, game between New Zealand and the United States. And, uh, well, the United States were plucky. Couldn't quite manage to uh, to pick up the win, though. They went down three goals to one. Nil all at quarter time, but New Zealand managed to slip a couple of goals in in that second quarter to take a 2-0 lead at half time, And it was one goal apiece after that. Um, one goal to New Zealand in the third quarter and the United States picking up a consolation goal of sorts in the last quarter. Andrew, uh, you did catch the games. What did you make of that one? I think the States were looking better than their previous games. So I don't think the result reflects that. I think the result really shows how clinical New Zealand were and how maybe, how poor the States were in defending their circle, especially at the beginning. But in over the game, the States had so many chances to get back into it when they were just 2-0 down. They had corners. They had a couple of chances for deflections. They're really fighting in there. And with every game, they're getting better. And I think they're a country that definitely benefit from this competition because they get regular games throughout the year now. Yeah, you mentioned corners there. The official stats listed as seven corners to one in favour of the USA, despite the circle entries being 32 to 41 in favour of New Zealand. Possessions about even on the old uh, TMS system, so that they were they were very much in the game despite the fact they couldn't get a goal in the back of the net. Yeah, and uh, I felt really bad for them at the end of the game. I mean, obviously happy for New Zealand, but uh, I think when you look back at the previous games that the states have had, for me they haven't really generated a lot of uh, attacking opportunities compared to what I'm used to seeing for them. I think Yannicka, uh, their coach, said that against the against the hockey ruse uh, the previous week. Said they may be a bit lucky to be leading one nil at that point. 
And I think that was true up until this game this weekend. And I'm excited to see their, their next game now, uh, to see these, because they've got a, y- a lot of young players coming through who are looking pretty skillful. And uh, hearing the stats during the game, they're putting away some big numbers in, in terms of goals in their own leagues. Yeah, they are. Uh, look, and we're, we're also seeing, because the Pro League is spread over weeks, we're seeing teams actually start to improve. I mean, I know you see that a little bit in tournament play, but it, it's not the same level of improvement we're seeing across some of these teams over the weeks, is it? No, and I think that's definitely something that most coaches said that would happen at the beginning of the competition, and normally I think coaches are always right. I mean, I am one, so I, I have to say that. Um <laughs> But it's definitely true, seeing it in men's and the women's competitions, in general, teams are getting better with each week, although uh, you're going to have some slip-ups, obviously, at some points, according to squad selection, journeys, and whatever other, uh, other factors may come into it. Well, that was the first game of the day. The next game was at 7pm local time in New Zealand, and it was New Zealand versus your male counterparts there in Spain. And... Well, it was a pretty ripping game, actually. Yeah, I think every Spanish game has been incredible. Yeah. Uh, and I, but I think they're probably the most consistently inconsistent team in their games, <laughs> except maybe against Australia. Uh, but in they're going three goals ahead, two goals behind, coming back, losing leads, getting to shootouts, being really good in their shootouts. In that, they're making a spectacle of everything, which is. For me, fantastic, because I love watching these, these types of games. And I'll tell you what, this game also featured a couple of ripping goals, um, and it started with the ripper the very first uh, minute. Pau Kamada got a, a, a fantastic striker's goal. I love these sorts of goals, and I've got a little bit of uh, audio from uh, of that goal. See if you can hear the crack of the stick. That's a good take by Leonard, edge of the circle, looking to find a way in, a shot, and it's an opening goal. Well, what a finish from Pau Kamada. You cannot give him that space. And uh, it was a great finish. It just bobbled in his direction, and he let rip from the top of the D, and that sound off the stick, that just oh makes me feel all good inside. Oh, it was beautiful to watch, and, and unusual for Pau, because normally he gets them from, from short corners. Yeah, and and it's a lot different. A lot of the goals we're seeing are the yeah. I know you coaches love the the one along the back line and put the ball into the zone of chaos in front of the goals there. But that was a ripping good old fashioned hockey goal. That one. That oh, was lovely. Just to see it just pop up in front of him. He just smashed it into into the goal. It was amazing. And from there, um, it <laughs> what a game! It was one nil in favour of New Zealand after the first quarter. Uh, uh, sorry, in favour of Spain, but New Zealand came back in the 22nd minute, and um, they they scored a goal through uh, Jared Panchia to make it one all at half time. I don't know what happened in the second half. New Zealand it just went crazy. New Zealand came out and scored two goals in the third quarter. Spain came back and got two goals within a minute of each other in the final quarter to lead to a, a three all scoreline at full time. Yeah, it just shows you you've got to be vigilant in defence and you've got to keep attacking. The game doesn't finish until the whistle goes at the end. You've got to keep plugging away, uh, both attacking, defending-wise, winning, losing. You've got to keep going until the end because otherwise you're going to concede. I actually thought when that third New Zealand goal went in, there was a sense about the New Zealanders it was almost as if, oh, we've got this one now. 
it, it's it's, a, it's nothing you can quantify. Yeah, I think uh, it happens a lot uh, in in a lot of teams, and it's something you have to work on uh, over a long term because. I mean, you think how many players have been rotated through these sides. I mean, maybe uh, the, the previous week that wouldn't have happened according to which players are being selected. Uh, so you, you never know what uh, what could be the the cause of that. Uh, just before we get to the shootout, there was another goal that was scored in that game. Um, Stephen Jeunesse from New Zealand scored New Zealand's second goal just after half-time. And it's another one of those goals where the sound of the ball on the stick just says it all. Have a listen to this. It even caught our mate Ashley Morrison out. The FIH Pro League average at the moment in the men's competitions come down to five from six, five goals a game. And we've had no nil-all draws. There will be one shown, and that was, of course, the game where rain stopped the play and it didn't actually take past Germany versus Argentina. So it was recorded as a nil-nil and they shared the points. Jeunesse, what a finish! Steven Jeunesse brought that down. Garin took a couple of steps off his line and Jeunesse just went bang. That's a beauty. Oh, the crowd goes mental there. Thank you very much to Spark and TV New Zealand and the FIH, the TV New Zealand, the, the host broadcaster there. And once again, that cracking sound, Andrew, is uh, what you love to hear when you go to see a hockey game. Oh yeah, and that's that's where you want to see and hear every week, just and, and and several times in each game from both teams, just make it exciting and get those balls smashing into the goal. And it was a very good pick up from him. He he didn't try and control the ball necessarily. He just allowed it to pop up in front of him and gave it a right royal one. Yeah, I mean when you when you're in the circle, you've got to be able to to finish uh, finish off those plays in any way possible. And sometimes they fall to you as you want. Sometimes you've got to work a bit of magic in there. And that's, that's what's, for, for me, marking some of the difference between some of these, these players that are coming in. I mean, talk about it in the, in the women's games as well. Just a bit of extra quality in those circles can make all the difference. And so three all at full time. That meant we're off to the shootout. And, uh, you could have almost written it in the book that Spain were going to win the shootout. They've had pretty good form at this recently. Yeah, even without Kiko Cortez in, in goal, and Mario was fantastic. Maybe the first one, uh, you think, oh, maybe he's a bit nervous, but then after that, he got into his rhythm, and I'm very pleased with the guy, because he doesn't get too many games, given that you've got Kiko as your, your number one choice, and he really stepped up in that shootout. Well, I'm sure um, Mario was would pick up Matt Allen's goal um, player of the shootout award this week. He was very good in goal. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And, they all are at that level, aren't they, Andrew? I just look at these guys and I'm stunned by what they do. Yeah, I mean, they, they all have a huge amount of talent, a huge amount of, uh, of potential to, to do incredible things. And, I mean, but we are seeing, I think, that there are some goalkeepers standing out more than others, in, especially in the men's competition. Uh, I think uh, we've been talking about it amongst groups of friends that perhaps the... The defence in these first couple of games hasn't been great, but you're really seeing now the goalkeepers stepping up and making their mark. Yeah, indeed. Um, moving on to the games on Sunday now, once again featuring New Zealand, and it was the double against Argentina. And uh, it kicked off uh, at 2.30pm uh, with the, the men in action. And 
I think you've got some comments about this game. It wasn't uh, wasn't a game that set the world alight, it must be fair. Argentina took the three points, winning 2-1 in the end. Uh, led 1-0 for most of the game, but it never got to any great heights. Hey, I'm one of the most placid people. I don't really uh, sort of uh, throw, throw much shade out there on people, but that was one of the most boring games I've seen all competition. It was just <laughs> slow. Uh, New Zealand just passing the ball around the back because Argentina were in, in their half-court press a lot of the time, but they just didn't want to look to play vertically or they just didn't know how to. I, I mean, I'm not in the, in the team, so I don't know what was going on there. Well, and Argentina even came out in an interview and said, we're just going to slow the game down and uh, we'll go for the counter-attacks and look for the 1v1 situations. And that's basically how the game planned out. I mean, in fairness to the Argentinians, they didn't come with a full squad. In fact, they didn't have a full team. If you're looking at the score sheet, there was two players not listed there. Um, and very much a second 11, I'd think. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think you can you can see that uh, compared to the game they had against the Dutch the other week. Uh, you can see that a couple of their players have got to be on club duty, maybe in Europe, and they're having to, to get some new blood into the team. Which is, you know, considering the way the, the Pro League runs, you need those bench players, for want of a better term. Oh, yeah, and I think... In, I really like seeing these new faces lining up for their country. For example, for Argentina the other week, uh, Nico Keenan uh, was playing for them. He's originally a Nagara boy, uh, but with so he's got maybe triple nationality. He plays for Argentina. His brother plays for Italy, and I'm hoping his sister's going to play for Spain because she's quality. Um, but she's only actually still under 16, so we'll, we'll give her some time. Um, but seeing these young players coming in and and actually stepping up to the mark is great. But to a certain extent, uh, I think, does it devalue the competition? Because you're not seeing the best players in that moment. No, that's and that will always be an argument around this sort of competition when you play it over an extended period of time such as this, that um, coaches have to think outside of that, I've got this squad for two weeks thing, and, and look at it at a far broader uh, brush, so to speak. Yeah, and, and that's what uh, what it's coming down to with this. Uh, you're playing over six months, and not everyone can do all the travelling. Not everyone can can withstand the the demands of club and country. Yeah, that, well, that's true. And some people can't uh, afford the demands of club or country. They've just got to go where the uh, where the money is. Um, oh yeah, definitely. The second game, once again, New Zealand versus Argentina. The women. Uh, it was a six, uh, 4.30 p.m. start there in New Zealand. And, um, well, Argentina probably did what we all thought Argentina would do, and that was win the game, and they won it relatively comfortably, 3-0. Yeah, I think they had it wrapped up at the beginning. The first two quarters, you could see New Zealand had changed, changed their press. They normally had their centre forward really high, and they're really aggressive, similarly to Australia or to uh, maybe, maybe even Spain these days. Um but they, they dropped their centre forward back, uh, trying to cover the two pivot players that Argentina had. That's, and, and this is a tactic, because we played against Argentina in the World Cup, this is something that we did against them. And I think we, in spite of the, the final scoreline, we actually pressed really well. And the stakes did it against them quite a lot, so they probably thought they could try something different. But it just didn't work out. They were so passive. And I mean, by the time they, they stepped up in the third quarter and said, and Sean Dancer said, he said, we're going to go for it. 
we've got to press, we've got to press. And they got their identity back. They started playing to their strengths. And, and they started getting opportunities. I think in the final two quarters, I don't know how many, how many scoring opportunities Argentina had, but New Zealand were just getting into the circle all the time. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I can trust the stats I've got under, under me here at the moment. According to, um, these stats, New Zealand had seven circle entries in the third quarter, and I would have said they had a lot more times than seven in the circle. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, which is a bit of a pity because it makes it a little bit hard to read the game sometime when you, you know in the back of your head what you saw and it doesn't seem to match up with numbers on a paper. Not to worry. I think sometimes we, we have to maybe standardise what we say is a circle entry, for example, because I know that in our, in, in our database we discount a lot of balls that actually cross the line because there's no outcome. There's not even a, a trap. The ball just flies off the pitch. Yep, yep, that's true. Very much so. Uh, look, the Argentina, the the women's side are certainly they they didn't they weren't outstanding. I don't think necessarily, but they showed that enough to say that if we want to turn it on, we can. I think they. I mean, Argentina is such an interesting side at the moment because they've got their veteran players back. They've got Rebecca, Delia, Zuluaga, Lucchetti. They're all coming back into the fold because maybe the change of coach. Uh, he, maybe he's called them up or maybe they just said okay I didn't get on with the other coach I want to be involved with this one because that sometimes ho- happens in Argentina hockey yeah. but that is making so much difference in the first two quarters in New Zealand were passive but Argentina were pressing them and, and turning over the ball so uh, well, winning those turnovers back so often it was it was quite it was nice to see but I agree with you the last couple of quarters they weren't outstanding at all no, but uh, what it does do is help consolidate them on the table, though. We'll, we'll take a look at the tables now, and uh, we'll start with the women. The Netherlands, uh, five wins, sorry, four wins from the five games they've played, so that leaves them at top at 80%. Australia played one more game than the Dutch. They're on 77% from their four wins and a shootout win and loss. Uh, Argentina have slipped into uh, third place there. They've played the five games, only the two wins, but they've also had two shootout wins, so that puts them on 66.7%. And uh, leapfrogs them over the top of Belgium, who of the top four, out of the top four, have played the least number of games. They're on three games with two wins and a loss, so at 66.7%. New Zealand in fifth place. Now, they'd be... Uh, a little bit disappointed at their return from from seven games so far. They and most of them at home. I think all of them at home. They've yeah, had uh, they've had just the three wins and four losses. No points from draws or shootouts there. So they're on forty two point nine percent. Yeah, forty two point nine percent. I'm sure they would have liked to have got a few more points there. Germany four games puts them on forty four games for one win, forty one percent. China are in seventh place, they've played five games, they're on twenty six point seven percent. Great Britain, just the three games played on twenty two point two percent. And the poor old United States down the bottom yet to uh rack up a win, but they do have a bonus point from a draw. Uh eight point three percent there. Um, I, I'm starting to get the feeling that that top four might be set and it uh, might be a little, little bit too late for Great Britain to make a run at it, the top four. Mm, I wouldn't count my chickens before they hatch. I think uh, you've got Great Britain will start playing their home games. Uh, you're going to have to get these Southern Hemisphere teams travelling over to Europe. Uh, I think we'll see something changing there. 
And I, I think China will start moving up, definitely. Yeah, China actually are quite an impressive side, aren't they? I'm uh, surprised they're playing so well because uh, in the last year and a half, uh, they weren't playing particularly well at all. And then all of a sudden, they just really stepped on the gas. They have been very good. I, I think Australia of that top four are the most vulnerable side to slip out of it. I think Argentina is probably going to pick up enough points through Europe to keep them near the pace there. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. On to the men's side of things now. And it's still Belgium at the top. Uh, they've only played the four games, but have a 75% from a win and a shootout bonus. Two wins and a shootout bonus point. Australia in second place on um, five games played. They've had three wins, 66.7%. Great Britain are also on 66.7% from two less games played. Germany are coming in fourth place. They've played four games. They're on 58.3%. Then it's Argentina with four games played and a couple of wins there on 58%. The Netherlands, probably a little bit of a surprise to have played five games, but only picked up the one win and a shootout win and a shootout loss. They're on 40%. Spain are on 40% as well. Yet to win a game from their five games, but they keep racking up those shootout wins on 40%. And New Zealand, it have to be said, struggling a little bit at the bottom. Played six games, two shootout losses, so they're on 11.1%. But I don't necessarily think they've been blown off the park yet, New Zealand, in any way. No, I just think they just need to be a bit more adventurous in their in their attacking play. Um, but they're, they're they're in there. They're definitely going to pick up more points. Yeah, and uh, not much has changed there as far as that table goes from last week. Great Britain still in third place, Germany in fourth, and Australia and Belgium in the top two there. Now, a quick look at the goal scorers before we take a little bit of a break. Uh, for the men, Hugo Inglis is still at the top of the table. Always tied up with Pal Kamada after. Kamada's excellent goal on the weekend. They're both on four. Uh, Hugo scored three from the field and one penalty stroke. Uh, Paul Kamada's picked up the four field goals. Uh, there's a string of players on three goals and two goals and a whole heap of them on one goal. And the goal average there, uh, after having played 18 games, the, the men have scored 97 goals at an average of 5.3 goals per game. And that's slipping down once again. It was 5.5 last week. It slipped another point two of a percent. So we're following the Colin Batch theory here. Um, 75% of the goals have come from the field, though. 73 goals... Uh, 22 goals from penalty corners and two strokes in there. So that's a, a fantastic um, goal-scoring statistic, I think. Uh, 73 out of 97 coming from the field. Yeah, I mean, you can see teams defending better their penalty corners, definitely. And it's been a trend for the last couple of years. Teams are actually starting to practice their penalty corner defence we're in a serious manner, like looking at every position, all the different varieties uh, of of, uh, of tactics they can use. And I think we're seeing, at the same time, sides saying, well, if we can't score from corners, we're going to have to work on our goal-scoring skills in a, in outfield play. Definitely. Um, on to the women's side of things now. Uh, Olivia Merry from New Zealand is heading the goal-scoring there. She's scored six goals. She's got the full house, uh, four field goals, a penalty corner and a penalty stroke. 
and a couple of players on three goals. Uh, Frederick Matla from the Netherlands has got three, as has Mariah Williams from Australia. She's on three goals as well. Uh, two from the field and one penalty corner from Mariah, and uh, Frederick has scored one of each, another full house. One, one, and one field goal, penalty corner, and penalty stroke. The girls from their... Uh, 21 games played have scored 70 goals and that means that their goal scoring average stays steady at 3.3 goals per game. There are scoring more field goals and penalty corners, 41 field goals, 26 penalty corners and 3 penalty strokes. So that's about 58.5% of their uh, goals scored are coming from the, the field there. Um, it's maybe that's a, a reflection of it's been a little bit harder to score goals in, in the women's side of things. Yeah, I'd like to see players really just taking it on and smashing it a bit more. I think people get into nice positions, but they look for the pass too often in in the women's game. And I really think we need to uh, we as uh, say we as the women's hockey uh, uh, teams need to start really getting just getting balls onto the onto target. Yeah, and um, the great example is those two goals we mentioned earlier where the ball's just popped to them and they've gone ping and had a real crack at it without really thinking too much about it, just knowing I can score, I'm going to try and score, as opposed to looking yeah. around and trying to set something up. If you look at uh, Mary and, and Williams, their goals have been fantastic because they're, they're real strikers, they're all poachers in, in the circle and they just, they'll put something on target. And I think we just need to be be picking our game up as uh, as the women's hockey teams to really get get stuff fired towards goal. Well, Andrew, let's just take a little bit of break and we'll come back and talk about some of the things that are happening around the pro league. <laughs> This is Totally Pro League, you're John Lee, and our guest co-host today is Spanish assistant coach Andrew Wilson. Andrew, you must be uh, looking on with a, a little bit of jealousy that you're not there with the Pro League. Yeah, uh, I think it's a shame Shame we can't be included in the competition because I mean, we definitely think we're good enough and I think we deserve to be, to be playing there, but we weren't invited and that's just the way it is. Uh, the, the criteria are not purely sporting criteria for this competition and that's difficult to get your head around as a coach especially when the consequences uh, of this competition are sports and performance related yeah, and I think yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult now for us to get top level matches because uh, sides of I don't have the, the money to travel or to, to accept you there or I don't have the time to be able to do it and that means we're obviously at a disadvantage in terms of ranking points uh, at the end of the day because we can't get those quality games and when we can't prepare ourselves as well. And as ranking is important for World Cup and Olympic qualifications, it then makes it more difficult to qualify and remain a top-ranked team. And you, and you always go back to the fact that we're not there, not on sporting merit, because I think uh, everyone knows that uh, we could compete with these teams. We're not there on other criteria. I think what um, mystifies those us outside of Spain is that the men are there. Um, so why wouldn't the women be there as well? 
Yeah, I mean, when when India dropped out, the first uh, reserves for the men's competition were Spain, and the first reserves to the women's competition were Belgium. And uh, I think it just shows how well Belgium have been in the women's uh, side of things, how well they've been working over the last few years to get their marketing and their their crowds involved and just anything outside of what is stick and ball work. Yes. And they just picked us to the post on that. Uh, it's disappointing, especially from our point of view. We would love to have seen Spain there. We had you over here in Perth um, just a bit earlier than this time last year, wasn't it? And, uh, uh, you know, we were, we were really impressed by the way that the girls go about the way they play. The style of play would have fitted right into what's going on in the Pro League. I've, I, I remember having a conversation with Quan Brown uh, about, what were you, we were in 2019, so maybe about nine years ago uh, and we were coaching Canterbury in England and our philosophy when we were doing indoor was we want to go out and make a spectacle of this people are coming to watch us play we want, to, we want them to enjoy it mm. and and I've taken that philosophy on to all the teams I coach and I've tried to in what and the ways I can with the Spanish women's team put that into our philosophy and our, our soul of way of playing people come to watch and enjoy and we have to give them that spectacle Oh, absolutely. And, and look, there's nothing better than playing exciting hockey. Uh, sometimes playing too overly defensive or can, can actually be boring and not much fun at all. Yeah. And that doesn't mean you, you play well either. You can no. compete and play badly and it can still be exciting. As long as you're effective in the two Ds, then it can be, uh, you can, uh, 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 the, I'm going to speak in Spanish now. Um, <laughs> <you know. laughs> it can be a to and fro game up and down the pitch or it can be controlled but as long as you're making it exciting in the two circles and you're pressing hard in the right moments and you're, and you're uh, managing the critical moments of the game I think people need to get their money's worth and you can still win by playing exciting hockey so I, just from talking to you in this short space of time you've, you've obviously had your eye a lot across the pro league what do you make of it as, as a concept? Um, I love it as a ba- uh, the base concept of it. I I think it's fantastic because I mean me as a spectator, I get to watch three or four international games a week uh, with good quality footage, good uh, good commentators. Uh, I get to watch it whenever I want uh, because uh, they put it onto FIH Live, which I love. Uh, for example, these games re- this week. I didn't get up at five or six o'clock in the morning to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not stupid. Uh, I've got work to do. Um, but I watched them when I had my free time and, and that just two or three years ago was unheard of. And I think it's great. Whether it's sustainable is another thing. I think we have to, to work as a, as a hockey community to make sure that we get the best product for everyone. And given it's the first year, there's always going to be hiccups, mm. but we need to back it. I think we need to back it and for a couple of years and see how good we can make this because otherwise we're going to be switching and changing between types of competitions and we're never going to have a, a quality product. I like to think of this year as being the beta version. It's uh, it's out there and you can get it, but it's a work in progress still. Yeah, I think you mentioned that on, uh, on the podcast the other week. I, yeah. I completely agree. And I think everyone, everyone in the FIH, FIH knows that as well. Yeah, I mean, and there's been a lot of positives out of it so far. 
Yeah, exciting hockey is is the, is the main thing, yeah. definitely. Well, that's what it's there for, really, isn't it? I mean, regardless of anything else, if it's if it's putting out exciting hockey for people to watch, it's probably filling its imprimatur. You know, it's it's doing its job. Oh yeah, I mean that's in what they wanted was a product to to show to showcase world class hockey, and that's definitely what they've set up. And as we say, they need to start working on venues for next year. Because uh, we know that certain venues are being play, are having playing their games at certain times, and they're not getting numbers, or they're getting numbers, or they're getting a certain type of crowd. Uh, the marketing for different nations is different. I think uh, if the FIH are strict, and I think they should be, they should be strict with the people who've got contracts with them. Uh, they could get a really good product out of this. Yeah, now you mentioned uh, times in the fixturing there. Something uh, quite a few people have been questioning is the 11 o'clock games in Spain. It um, seems a bit odd, but there there is reason behind the madness. Yeah, and you get the school kids there. Uh, playing in Valencia um, is not going to attract a lot of uh, hardcore hockey fans because in Valencia you've got four or five clubs who at 11 o'clock in the morning are all at school, university or working. Um, But what you do get in Valencia is a great uh, regional uh, uh, federation set up who are very professional in how they set up their competitions. They're the best in Spain, without a doubt. They held the National Cup there last year and it was the best one professionally we've ever held. And they get all the school kids in there. So what it does with Valencian hockey is you get all these school kids seeing hockey for the first time in their lives and top quality hockey, really exciting games. And I think uh, Andy Halliday said that uh, the noise was incredible, but they don't have, they have, they've got no idea what they're watching. But how many stories do you hear of Olympians and top internationals who say, I went and watched the game because my school took me or because this person introduced me to it and I got hooked? Well, it reminds me of our, our our friend from Sierra Leone, Silas Bangs, who'd never seen, knew what hockey was, yeah. and he went to a World Cup game, and now he's created a hockey association in Sierra Leone from that yeah. going to that one game. So it's you know, it's not just the kiddies either. And in uh, the cri- the criteria of the FIH is bums on seats in the games. Yeah, you need people there. They want they they've got to sell this product. And what are Spain doing? They've got thousands of screaming kids making noise and and getting people interested in the game. Has there been um, interest in the pro league just generally within Spain or perhaps in, in the media there? Is, is anybody following it? Um, <laughs> to be honest, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, we talk about it amongst ourselves uh, in the close-knit hockey community because... And we we love the game, but even like the players in my girls' first team don't have any idea what's going on apart from the the, the Spanish men's games, and that happen that will happen I think all the time. Whatever competition you put on, however you sell it, it's going to be difficult to get everyone in, involved unless it's a World Cup or or an Olympics. Yeah, and as we say, it's it's very early on. Once if a competition gains traction, and, and the more it's played and the more meaning it is attached to it, the more people will start to follow it, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm hoping. Yeah, I guess so. And I think also it depends on where you're holding, the, where you've got your host venues. I think in, I like the fact that in uh, in Australia you're playing it at different venues. 
because you're taking it around the place and people are getting to see it and they're going to get more hooked because they actually have a physical presence there. Whereas in Spain, it's Madrid, Valencia, where because Valencia are very professional, they set it up well. Madrid is the capital and uh, you're going to get people going to watch it there. But Catalonia is, is the strong is the strong base of hockey in, in Spain and we don't get any of the games. Now, that's the criteria for why you get games or not, I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that when we, as a women's team, play in Catalonia, no one comes and watches us. But we go to somewhere in the south of Spain where they've got one club and you've got a whole uh, marching band there what to watch you play. Well, I think everyone saw the footage on, on Twitter when, when the Dutch came to watch us. Yeah. Uh, to, play, to watch us to play against us. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and we... The hockey community needs more of that everywhere. It must be said too. Um, it was great to see the scenes of the kids out on the field at, in um, in Holland, Netherlands uh, oh, last yeah. week. Need more. I, like, more of I that. like to hear that because in Spain it's something that used to happen, and they and now they stop the kids going on the pitch in Spain at half time, which I think is I can understand in a national cup competition because that's one weekend you got uh, seven or eight games being played maybe in one day. On on, a, on any one pitch, yeah. so you need to be strict on timings. But I mean, national league games get the get the kids on the pitch. Has uh, anything else caught your eye about the pro league? Um, I think my big takeaway from just this weekend is that I want to see Stacey Mickelson play in every game, men's or women. <laughs> it's incredible. She's so good. Isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! And just every time she got the ball, I thought, "This is gonna. This, I'm gonna love this. This is gonna be brilliant." <laughs> but I hope she's listening because yeah. uh, she needs to be told that. I'm sure uh, people do tell her, but she really needs to know. She is fantastic. It's just natural to her, isn't it? It's yeah. And, uh, her, her style just looks so unorthodox, very upright, right hand really high up the stick. You see the quality of the passing. I mean, she had she plays a lot of minutes, so she's going to make a couple of mistakes. But she's uh, I just uh, I get her in the men's side as well. Just I get her playing every game for any country. I don't care. <laughs> well, she can have about seven different nationalities and just fill in when she feels like it. <laughs> that, that's fine with me. Oh, we do, the Vanuatu might need her, but that's another argument. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. There's a few players though that are holding their hands up, especially on the women's side of things, as as real genuine quality players that should be far more lauded than perhaps they're given in their own country or within the hockey community. And Stace is probably one of them. Yep, I uh, completely agree. And I think uh, it made me think about the the FIH uh, All Star Awards and how in I understand it's a marketing gimmick, but I mean, she should have won that definitely. I think uh, uh, the Dutch players are fantastic, but I mean, who really holds a team together and really makes them go forward? Are you looking at you're looking at Stacey? You're looking at Gigi? You're looking at for me, Rebecca at the moment with Argentina. Yeah, they are really, as you say, holding their hands up and saying, "I'm world's best. I'm not. I'm not world class. I'm world's best at the moment." And there, there's a handful of girls that are really standing out. As you, well, that was three that you just mentioned then. And it, I, I wonder how much is, it's they stand out because of the teams they're playing in, or is it? Uh, and we don't notice the Dutch girls as much because they're just playing in such an awesome team 
that you look a lot better than you maybe are? Yeah, uh, I think that uh, that could be the case as well. Uh, but I also think that maybe if you're playing in a maybe a not so established team, that maybe that allows you to get better because you you take that opportunity. You look at um, I think I'd add onto that list um, Megan Fraser from Ireland. Unfortunately, she's plagued by injuries. But again, she could be world's best. If well, she weren't played by injuries, she could be up there. I think probably on the same criteria you talk about Stacey Nicholson, I think of Rachel Lynch as a goalie. I mean, she yeah. she could play in men's goal, goals in the men's team. She's just a gem. And she's so important to the team too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she's really showed that in these, uh, in maybe probably the last year, getting them up to, uh, the semis in in the World Cup. Yep. Uh, it was a team team thing, but she really stood out. And that's why she was nominated for for goalkeeper of the year. And these games that she's played in the in the pro league, she's been incredible. Yeah, she's a great goalie. And you know these these sort of best of things are are very subjective too. I mean, uh, I don't like to pick one or two. You could probably take a ha- go through down sort of grading people. There's a handful of players that are that good, and then the next tier down, there's another handful of players. Rather than being a, a strict one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten sort of thing. Yeah, I think. But then you're getting into consistency. I think the top ones are, are showing in every game that they're they're really stepping up to the mark. Yeah, true. You're listening to Totally Pro League. My name's John Lee, and I'm here with. The assistant coach of the bronze medal winning Spanish women's team from the recent World Cup, Andrew Wilson. And uh, Andrew, what have you made of the umpiring across the uh, the pro league? I think it's been of a pretty high standard. Yeah, I think in general we've seen uh, the umpires coping well with the fact that they're travelling out for maybe one or two games. And uh, I, I like the fact that also they're getting... Men's do the the video for the women. Women do the video for the men, and it's it's nice to see that people are being developed on that point. I think, um, but then there are a couple of obviously there are there are small issues during games that uh, you think that eventually they'll they'll start working out. I mean, you look at uh, what happened in the uh, there's it an incident in both Argentina New Zealand games, men and women. There's one for the men where. They got uh, a free hit reversed for time wasting in the final quarter, and I just thought I can understand where the umpire is coming from. But did he actually really take too long to take that free hit compared to how long he would take in the first quarter of the game? I mean, how much did that umpire condition the pace of the game in the final quarter? Yeah, and I mean, a seconds, well, ten seconds is. 10 seconds at the beginning of the game and it's still 10 seconds at the end of the game maybe the umpire's getting caught up a little bit in the pace and the um, urgency of the players Yeah, I think it's uh, and Keely would be fantastic to talk about this because uh, she'd be far more eloquent than I am <laughs> uh, uh, I definitely think that the managing of the game prior to that incident is what led to the action it wasn't that moment in particular I think the, the umpire uh, did uh, warned the players previously uh, but he warned them I think in a moment where they did take too long they were definitely time wasting um, but in the moment where he blew them up I thought he was a bit too gung ho 
it's an interesting rule from the player's perspective too. Uh, um, you know, sometimes you're just trying to suck one in and, and and recover a little bit, and you're not. The attention isn't to time waste; it's just a little bit of recovery. But obviously, in in some cases, it's just blatantly winding the clock down. Yeah, I think, and, and we saw that in the women's game as well. I think uh, the Argentina tried to do the same, and I think they. I think they were warned, and but then nothing was turned over. I think Ash Morrison even mentions that the pre- in the previous game they had turned over a decision, so they they managed to hold on to their their nerve there, the players. But I think it's I mean, what would the umpire have done in the situation, for example, New Zealand going back to a half court press? Maybe they went back to a half court press to steal the ball and counter attack. That means that there's no immediate pressure on the ball. Uh, is the is the umpire thinking? Okay, we can be a bit more relaxed here because the umpire can't make those decisions about the pace of the game. No, no, it's you're there to blow the whistle to the rules, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. And then I think there was uh, another incident in the in New Zealand's Argentina game for the women. Um, in the video umpire, I think there was a a foot New Zealand foot not picked up by the video umpire. They were given a corner. Argentina called for the video. And they didn't take the footage uh, far back enough. And I think that uh, that was really unfortunate. It's, it's a it's a one one off mistake. Normally they're really good about it, but it could have conditioned the entire game. The fact the um, that the video umpire didn't go back two seconds more. Now we've seen other instances of where this has happened as well, and I wonder if it's um, at times might be a, a communication issue. It's a language thing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And on and on that subject, uh, we were told in in our debrief, uh, sort of umpires coaches debrief for the World Cup, that you now don't have to be specific with the question you're answer uh, you're asking. Now, if uh, if there's any listeners out there who know that I'm wrong on that and they've suddenly changed it for the Pro League, please let me know. But this is what we were told prior to the World Cup: you don't have to be specific. They just they'd like you to say. It was a foot, and they'll look for that. But they'll look at the entire footage uh, every every time until they find it. And if they find something before, then they'll take that into account. And they didn't do that this at this point. And I think Argentina were rightly angry that they lost because they lost their referral as well. And that's the big killer too: is is the loss of a referral because you only get the, the one, don't you? Yeah, and I mean, who knows if how important that could have been at the end of the game for them just for the fact that the umpire made that mistake. Now, umpires can make mistakes because, I mean, God knows, as coaches <laughs> and players, we make thousands of mistakes <laughs> week in, week out. And, um, and, I, and I love umpires, and I think they, they don't get enough recognition and they get too much stick from everyone uh, uh, on a weekend. That's a, that's, that, but that's, that's something for another podcast. Um, but I think that at that level, when you've got that video is something I'm sure they'll look through with their with the umpire's manager, uh, whoever they may be for that umpire, and talk about it. And to be fair, I, I think that we've got one of the better systems in world sport for the way that we deal with the, the reviews. Um, we've had far less problems in implementing it than a lot of other sports have had. And even though it's not a complete package just yet, it's certainly a long way towards it. And just little bits of fine-tuning it here and there. Yeah, I agree, and I think it's it's unfortunate when when there are big decisions that are made with the with the video referee. I think, uh, for example, the our game against Belgium in the World Cup could have been given either way that goal, 
in the shootout, and that meant that we went through and Belgium didn't. It could have been Belgium going through and we didn't. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, it's fine tuning because eventually we'll get a, a 10 out of 10 product. We've already, we've already got a very good product. You look at the problems that soccer have had oh. or, or football have had to get theirs implemented yeah. uh, because of the, the amount of money they, they move in their sport. There's no consensus. But then you look at others, what you've got cricket, rugby, who've also got a pretty good setup as well. And I think, well, I, I'm very happy with how our, our video works. Well, let's uh, take a look now at the games coming up because the first one involves the Spanish men and uh, they're playing at Valencia this weekend. It's, as we mentioned before, the 11 o'clock game. That's coming up on Friday morning in Spain, local time. Spain and Germany. Um, be an interesting game for both teams. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll actually be watching this one live, which is good. I'll, I'll get up and watch this one. Oh, good. Giving it nice for my time. Um, I, I think it would be interesting to see if Spain can start getting some consistency from one quarter to the next. Yeah. That's what I'd like to see from them. Uh, I haven't seen much of Germany, if I'm honest. Um, but I understand that, uh, they played very well against the, the Dutch the other week. Oh, they did. And it was a tremendous game of hockey too. I mean, a 1-0 scoreline in the modern era people think might be a bit boring, but it was a ripping game. Yeah, I, I, well, I, see, I heard you... Well, I've listened to every episode of <laughs> The Reverse Stick and Totally totally Poorly. <laughs> so I, I get your, your pick-ups each week from it. So it's, I, I might, one point, maybe I might watch it again. Uh, we'll, we'll put you down for a Spain win there, shall we? Yes, please. Definitely. I've got, I've got to, I've got to go with the home team there. Yeah. And, uh, then across the weekend, all the action is centred on Sydney down here in Australia. As on the Saturday, both the men and women take on Argentina. And then on Sunday, it's, uh, the Anzac Derby, Australia and New Zealand. And for all of these teams, it's uh, sort of a bit of a last hurrah before they head to Europe. I think Australia and New Zealand play one more fixture in New Zealand as part of the home and away leg of this uh, fixture. But um, after this, they're, they're going to be off and travelling the world. And uh, the action kicks off on Saturday afternoon at 3pm when Australia take on Argentina and the men's followed at 4.45pm as the Australian girls take on the Argentinian girls and you'd think these would be two rather hotly contested games yeah oh without a doubt uh, especially the um, the Australia-Argentina games I think they'll be they'll be fantastic because uh, I think both teams men and women are playing really well at the moment I think the Australian-New Zealand games, uh, I, th- I can see Australia taking those too, I think, just from looking on current form. I think on, yeah, current form. And, and on if you look back historically, the New Zealand men have uh, are struggling a little bit at the moment against Australia recently. But, I mean, the, the, the women could be a shot if they can... Uh, if Olivia Merry can turn it on, perhaps, and they can find another goal scorer somewhere. As you mentioned, Stacey Mickelson, she's uh, sort of lurking around in the midfield and at the back there, just knocking off attackers as, as it pleases her. Um, I think that's the danger game for, for Australia. I think when, when they looked at the the Argentina game, they probably went, well, that could go either way. I think uh, what puzzles me is I don't know who plans the, the days for these games, but if I were Australia... Why aren't they playing one on a Friday and one on a Sunday? I think if they're playing these games themselves, they shot themselves in the foot because they've got 
no recovery virtually between these two games. And that's been true of all the Australian games where there's been um, two games um, in Melbourne, and, oh, yeah, Melbourne, and then in Hobart. Even though the men didn't play, they were scheduled to play on both days. And then now here in Sydney, another double up, which I don't see anybody else doing. I guess from um, uh, yeah, it, Great Britain will be doing a couple of double ups, but that's about it. I mean, I know the Aussies are strong physically, but I mean, at some point, something's got to give. And in, uh, although I did say that Australia will probably take those games, I, I, I do believe that it won't be easy for them on, the, on that Sunday. No, it won't. And, um, I must admit, that's my weekend done and dusted with those all those games. My missus isn't going to be too happy. They <laughs> 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 start at midday here, so um, all of Saturday and Sunday afternoon is wiped out. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to them. And of course, uh, we're heading off, uh, next week we'll be back, uh, a bit of, uh, action down in, uh, Rosario with Argentina. And then, uh, it's all off to, um, of Brussels, Amsterdam, Rotterdam. After that, it's all heading your way. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And to be able to watch games live will be nice. Uh, and I think that seeing the, the Southern Hemisphere teams come over, It'd be interesting to see what they bring because I think they they're quite used to travelling over to Europe more so than the Europeans are to travelling over there. So I think the the games will be very interesting. And of course, we'll be seeing the European teams play each other a lot more. It's predominantly been the Southern Hemisphere versus the Northern Hemisphere so far, but we'll we'll start to see more of those European teams taking each other on. Yeah, I mean with short trips, which is always nice. Uh, and hopefully I can get down to, to see a couple of the Spanish games at some point. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you have much of an opportunity to go along and watch them, or is it uh, all club hockey for you at the moment? It's all all club. Uh, we've started up with three games into our second half of the season. We've got National Cup next week, and it's it's just full on, especially with, with the national team. We did a lot of activity in January, February. It was. It would be nice to get down there, but it is a three and a half hour drive down to down to Valencia, just for one game. And uh, sometimes you got to you got to weigh up your options. Yeah, unfortunately, that's. Uh, maybe you'll be able to get one down the, your way in the, the next couple of years if we can squeeze the Spanish women in. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be very nice. Oh, look, Andrew, it's been a, a pleasure having you on the show today. Um, all the best with all your club activities and especially with the Spanish women's national team. Really enjoyed watching the girls play over the last couple of years and uh, looking forward to catching them in action again soon. For you, um, best of wishes and uh, we'll catch you again later. Perhaps we'll get you back on towards the end of the season. Thanks, John. Looking forward to it. Really, really exciting to be on. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Catch you, mate. And uh, to all our listeners, we'll be uh, back next week with more Totally Pro League.